John 3, verses 1 through 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the womb the second time and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Thou art a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye received not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light is come into the world, and the men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth is gospel, the third chapter, and John is different than the other Gospels. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three of them together are known as the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic because of its commonality in theme, in writing style, and organization. John's Gospel is different. A lot of people, when they first come to Christ, are instructed to read John's Gospel. The Bible's a big book, and a lot of times people are instructed, start with the Gospel of John. The theme of John's Gospel is very straightforward. What is it? Here it is. Jesus is God, the promised Messiah, and by believing in Jesus, people can have eternal life. The Gospel was likely written during the period between 70 A.D. and 100 A.D., John died toward the end of that century, around 96 AD. The only disciple to die of natural causes. The gospel is timed to be written during that segment of time because a couple of internal references. 
First of all, John's Gospel refers to the Sea of Galilee as the Sea of Tiberias. Something that only was termed towards the end of the first century. Secondly, there's a reference to Peter's martyrdom in John chapter 21. You will stretch out your hands and another will lead you to a place you will not. Third, there's no reference to the Sadducees in John's Gospel. Likely because it was written after 70 AD. When the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the Sadducees ceased from existence as a religious party. The other Gospels talk about the Pharisees and Sadducees. There's no mention of the Sadducees in John's Gospel. So for all of these reasons, it seems to be safe to conclude that John's Gospel was written between 70 to 100 AD. Furthermore, the testimony of the early church states that it was written sometime after 70 AD. Eusebius, in Ecclesiastical History, uh, quotes Clement of Alexandria saying, Last of all, John perceiving that the external facts had been made plain in the other canonical Gospels, composed a spiritual Gospel. And that's why John reads different. If you have one of those older Bibles where the words of Christ are in red, there's a lot of red in John's Gospel. John's Gospel is also the clearest in teaching us that Jesus is God, plain and simple. So it is a, it is a good Gospel to start with. It is an important Gospel for the New Testament. And John probably wrote this gospel in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, a very important urban center during the time of Rome. Irenaeus writes that that's probably where John wrote this gospel. But although he wrote this gospel there, John's gospel transcends time and locale, and is the cornerstone gospel for many. And many, till this day, name their children John. As we read this, we see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. It is not an accident that he comes at night. Sometimes we have some circumstantial, I would say, settings. Perhaps he was a religious leader and busy during the day. Perhaps he knew that Jesus was busy during the day. And therefore, at night was the best time to come. Those could be true. Those factors could be true. But what seems to be more accurate here is that John is presenting to us the difference between light and night, darkness and life. And I do believe that he writes intentionally that Nicodemus came at night because Jesus is about to tell this teacher, this ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You are sitting in spiritual darkness and the only way you can enter into heaven is by being born again. And you'll see this motif 
being played out throughout this section of Scripture. Now in verse 2, Nicodemus makes an interesting point. In verse 2 here, Nicodemus, although an unbeliever at this point, correctly assesses as a religious leader that the works of Jesus can only be done if a man is from God. So it is true with each one of us today. At the end of your life, all of your works will declare to this world whether or not your life was in God. And this is going to come up later again in verse 21. Ask yourself this question. Are your works of God? Do your works testify that you are a believer? Can others, like Nicodemus was able to do to Jesus, look at your body of works and say, this is a man or this is a woman of God? That's important. Next we look at verses 3 to 8. And we see the important words, born again. Now those words have come upon tough times during our contemporary era. People use it almost as a pejorative. They snidely say, Oh, you're one of those born-again Christians, aren't you? Don't ever be ashamed of using that to identify yourself. Jesus used the words. He said, In order to go to heaven, you must be born again. You must be born again. Those are biblical words. Embrace those words. Just as you embrace being a Christian... Embrace the fact that you are a born-again Christian. The Bible says you must be born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? As we look to verse 5, it says, You must be born of water and of spirit. Does that mean we have to be baptized in order to go to heaven? No, this is a reference to Ezekiel 36. Jesus talking to a religious leader who knew the law was referencing Ezekiel 36. And in Ezekiel 36, the water there is clearly not literal. The water is not literal. Because it's talking to a wash, about a washing away of iniquity. The washing away of idols. Jesus is saying that you must be born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? A person is born again. Listen now. A person is born again the moment he repents and believes in Jesus Christ as his Lord, God, and Savior. That is the moment of of rebirth. Some would say incorrectly that repentance is not part of the gospel. That is not true. As we read in Acts chapter 11, listen to Acts 11. When the Gentiles receive the gospel and are born again, here's what it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. That is fascinating. You could literally take out the word repentance and replace it with the word faith, and it would read like this, God also to the Gentiles granted faith unto life. What sort of life? Eternal life. This is talking about salvation. 
And hence, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. I cannot turn to Christ in faith while I'm living in my life of sin. If I'm living in my life of sin, I must first repent and turn in order to put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord God and Savior. Repentance, notice here, is also a gift from God. The scripture says that God has granted repentance. God grants repentance just like God grants faith. They are not works. These are gifts from God. Almost interchangeable terms here in the New Testament. Literally interchangeable. God has granted faith unto life. God has granted repentance unto life. And so now I declare the gospel to you. The gospel is, one, we are, we are all living in the presence of an eternally triune God. God exists eternally in Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Three persons, one God. Not three different manifestations, not three different gods, three persons with three unique personalities, three persons, but one God. All of one substance, one God. This separates us from Mormonism and every sort of heresy out there. We believe in the Trinity. Now this triune God created the world by speaking. And He spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light. And he created the world, ex nihilo, out of nothing, simply by speaking. So that what exists in this present world was not created from that which is seen. The Logos, God spoke the word, and the word created the world. But this God who created this world, he exists as a holy, righteous, just, loving God, and created this world in love, but, point number two, Adam and Eve, first human parents, sinned against God, and as a result, his progeny, descendants, you and I, till, till this very day, as a result of their sin, we have a sinful nature. And because we are sinners, we deserve hell. Sins committed against an infinitely holy God deserve infinite punishment in hell. And that is bad news. But listen to me, the good news is verse 16 today. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son Jesus, fully God and fully man, He lived a sinless life, and then He died on the cross and paid for the sins of those who would one day believe in Him. And then he resurrected on the third day. It's a historical fact. So that point number four, if you repent of your sins, that's part of the gospel. Two sides of the same coin. When you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus as Lord God and Savior, that moment you are born again. You become a Christian. You are headed to heaven. Hallelujah. That's what it means to be born again. To be born again is to repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior. Amen? That's salvation. And that's what it's talking about. To an audience 
Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, who only believed that the Jews were the chosen people, John 3.16 is groundbreaking. Because in John 3.16, God says, I love the entire world. Not just the Jews, not just a select few, but I love the world. And whosoever, Jew or Gentile, believes in Jesus, my son, shall be saved. This was groundbreaking news. This was so groundbreaking that when you read in the book of Acts, they couldn't believe that God had brought salvation to Gentiles when the entire household of Cornelius the centurion was saved. But this is also why we sang the song we just sang, Christ for the whole wide world. And the words here in this song apply to us today. Because of Christ's salvation, because of what he has done for us, therefore we sing words like like the song we just sang. Here's what it says. The message of God's Son, shall they be left in sin, to die without His word, without the Savior Jesus Christ, because they never heard. There are millions in this whole wide world who do not know the Savior's love. And as we read verse 17, the Bible makes it clear that those who have not heard the gospel, though it not, may not be any fault of their own, the Bible says in verse 17, listen carefully, here's what it says. It says in verse 17 and then into 18 that those individuals are condemned already. Do you see those words? The Bible says that every single human being is a sinner. And if they do not believe in the gospel, the default state for every human being, is one of condemnation. Jesus said, they are condemned already. And this is what makes our mission, the great commission, so imperative. Unless we go with the gospel, they will die in their sins and face an eternal hell. I want you to listen very closely. God does not send anyone to hell because they never heard the gospel. God sends people to hell because they are sinners and He is a just God. Remember that. God, being just, sends people to hell because they're sinners, not because they never heard the gospel. So it is our job to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth and declare to the world what Jesus declared to Nicodemus that night. We declare to the world, you must be born again. You must be born again. There is no other way into heaven before unless you are born again. And time is ticking. You are older this year than you were last year. And the years go by fast. Next week is daylight savings time. And someone said, wow, already, I can't believe it. Time is flying by. Are you born again? You must be born again in order to enter into heaven. It's only heaven or hell. There is no middle ground. There is no purgatory. The only way you go to heaven 
is if you are born again, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we look in this passage, we see a very vital word. But it may not be vital to English readers. Take a look at verse 7. In verse 7, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Reading it in English, it may seem that Jesus used a singular. In other words, the word you. Ye. You must be born again. In the Greek, this word is plural. So in other words, Jesus is saying, all of you, not just Nicodemus, not just his ruler friends, but for all of us sitting here today, 2,000 years later, the you refers to us. All of us, plural, must be born again. This accentuates the need. And this is why we're here today. The only reason why we're allowed and permitted to worship God is because we're born again. There's such a movement today in the seeker-sensitive church to try to fill churches with seeker-sensitive activities, but the theological premise is wrong. Listen to me carefully. Worship is for the believer. Worship is for those who are born again. Unbelievers cannot worship God. You hear what I'm saying? Worship, Sunday worship in the church must be tailored for believers to the glory of God. We're not getting a program for unbelievers. Unbelievers cannot worship God. And this is why some churches feel as if you entered a disco club. It doesn't feel holy or honoring God because their theological premise is wrong. Worship is not for the unbeliever. We're not attempting to see if we could gather as many unbelievers as possible. That is not the point of church. The church, Sunday worship, is for the believer. Only those who are born again can worship God. Or as Jesus will say to the woman at the well, I'll preach this next week, Jesus will say to the Samaritans, you don't know who you worship. We know who we worship. The Father seeks those who will worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, you are born again and your worship is centered on the Word of God. Amen? We now close with this. Look at verse 21. As we read verse 21, it is a full loop closure as to how this chapter began. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I want you to listen to me carefully. When your life is over, will people say that about you? That all your works, everything you did, your entire life from beginning to end, were they wrought in God? 
Take a look at John 3.13. No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus did the works of God. Now, in most translations, I should say, in some translations, a very important part of that verse is missing. But you'll see it right there in your King James. Even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus as God the Son, speaking as fully human to Nicodemus, is saying, yes, I'm here speaking to you, but as God, did you know that I am right now in heaven? This is such an important part of the verse. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so he also had the attribute of omnipresence. That's a divine attribute. And so those NIV translations that take out that part of the verse, it's wrong. This is important. Jesus, even as he was on earth, knew of his omnipresence. So as I close with this, Jesus did his Father's work. We are to go out and do our Father's work. Now we can't be everywhere, and we don't have the divine attributes that Jesus did. But nevertheless, we too can end our lives and say, as it says in verse 21, we live in the truth, we walk in the light, and our deeds are manifest that they are wrought in God. And that, at the end of our lives, is a true testament to those who are genuinely born again. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord God, for your word today.